welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. All right, let's pray. Father God, I just ask that you would just move me out of the way, Father. Um, just till the soil of the hearts of everyone in this building right now to hear your word. God, it says as we continue to move through this series, God, that you would be moving through our lives, transforming it as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Can anybody hear me? Good, cool. Greetings, everyone. My name is Rich Bowman. Um, we're continuing to go through our series, The Naked Truth, Love, Sex, and Lasting Relationships, a series on the book, Song of Solomon. Um, just a little housekeeping before we continue. I just want to let you guys know that last week's sermon uh, will not be posted publicly in our podcast due to the graphic nature of the message. Uh, in case you were looking out for it, that's why you haven't seen it. Okay. Um, today's message is called, Can We Talk? Right? And the reason... Um, why we called it that is because those are three words that we don't really like to hear in relationships. Can we talk? Like right now? Like, can we do this tomorrow? Why? Because can we talk usually leads to a discussion. And a discussion many times leads to conflict. And we don't know how to deal with that. How to deal with conflict. And as we go through this series, I realized something. As we went from attraction and dating and intimacy and now we're here at conflict, I realize that relationships are incredibly hard. Marriage is really tough. Because it's not always intimate moments. We aren't always gazing into each other's eyes, looking at each other's teeth, right? That's not always happening. Just checking who was here last time. Many times, we're on the opposite end of the bed. Many times, we're not hanging on to the words that that person is saying. Honestly, many times, we're just waiting for them to stop talking. Many times we're not speaking poetry, but spitting poison at the one that we say we love the most. Reality strikes. We get real comfortable. You know, in marriage, there's this thing they call the uh, honeymoon period. Uh, they call it that because it's an extension of the dating period where we continue to just be enraptured uh, by love and affection for that person. And then we get comfortable and masks start to dissolve and our, our real face starts to show. Things you would normally bypass in the dating phase, now they start to bother you. Like, man, you really love the fact that he was into basketball and you guys had front row seats taking selfies at the games. But now when he's watching the game every day and it's at your expense and you can't get his attention, now it's a problem. Or guys, man, you really appreciate how fly she looks, but now you realize fly takes eight hours. And it's like, man, I wasn't ready for that. I'll take less fly, right? We don't know how to handle it. You and your spouse could possibly be facing challenges, whereas before you faced those challenges alone, like your finances. Maybe you find out your husband, his financial strategy, is real faith-based, you know? He's just like, in the name of Jesus, swipe. You know, and just pray to God it goes through. 50-50. And now we start to disagree, and then we start seeing all the positive things that we used to really like about the person as just the new normal. Man, she's just so kind and so thoughtful. 
But now we just expect it. And now we just focus on all the negative things, all the things that we don't have from that person. We're not impressed anymore. Or maybe you have kids. And that has new levels of conflict, new levels that I still haven't figured out yet. Um, new, new challenges constantly face us in our relationships, and we have to learn how to handle it. Remember last week we talked about narratives, and we talked about how some of us had no information, and some had good information, bad information, bad experiences. Well, narratives play out with conflict as well. It goes all the way back to mom and dad. And maybe you didn't have mom and dad, maybe it was just mom. Or maybe it was mom and her husband, or mom and her boyfriend, or just mom and them. <laughs> Watching how they handle conflict. Man, I remember some epic battles between my parents, and I would get scared. Because the whole time as a child, it's like you see them going at it, and it's just like, man, A, it's because of me. Or B, they might leave each other, right? And I was just terrified. And then sometimes, you know, as I got older, that fear turned more into just disgust. And I would see some of the things that my mom would say to my dad, and I'm just like, Dad, did you just hear what mom just said to you? You just gonna let that rock? Like, really? And I always told myself, I said, look, if I'm ever a husband, that's not gonna be me. Like, I wish, I wish somebody would say that to me. And then she did, and I didn't do anything. Um, but we swear, it's just like, man, I don't wanna be like them. I don't wanna be like them, why? Because most of the time, conflict looks like hatred and not love. I thought you guys loved each other. I thought when you guys got together and you had me, it's because you guys had like this great connection. But right now that connection looks like it's broken. Fast forward to today. I'm married. I have a child. And my wife and I have some epic battles. They just look different. We argue, but it's not loud. It's not violent like my parents were. It's calculated. Like imagine like two nerds in a rap battle. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, actually, no, it was two days ago. It wasn't 857, it was 859. I remember because he was on YouTube watching videos. And it's like, how did you remember that? But my wife and I are still being perfected by Jesus. And although I have been successful in not turning into my dad, I have not been successful in avoiding conflict. And it's funny because now, whenever my wife and I argue in front of our daughter, she starts to get really upset and start crying. And I'm like, oh man, look at that. In her head, now she's like, that's not gonna be me. And she's saying the same thing. You know, conflict at times can look bad, but it is so much better than silence. The only couples who don't have conflict don't have a relationship. It comes with the territory. You know, there's a, there's a world-renowned doctor, his name is John Gottman. Uh, he's a psychologist and a thought leader when it comes to marital therapy. He's really the go-to guy when it comes to the scientific side of marriage. Um, with over 40 years of research, he found that there are about really four indicators when he's looking to see if a couple's gonna end up in divorce. Um, the worst of them all, the fourth one, uh, is called stonewalling. And we've all seen it, and we've all heard it, and it can be summed up in one word, whatever. Whatever. 
It's whatever. I don't care. That's right, you don't. See, stonewallers, rather than confronting the issue, is someone who is stonewalling will be totally unresponsive, making evasive maneuvers, turning out, turning away, and acting busy. Escape, running away, looking for an exit. Conflict means care. We don't always approach it in the right way, but somewhere in there, we're looking for a resolution. A stonewalling friend is a friend who does not find the relationship worth fighting for. It's not worth it. So Bridge Church, I urge you to fight for the ones that you love. Today, today we're going to learn how to do conflict and do conflict well. And I want you to take this lesson back to the friendships that you have, back to the spouses, the families, the people that you care about, the people that matter. Fight for the ones you love. Let them know that it's worth it. So let's jump right into the text. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. And before we start reading these verses, I just want to point out that back in these times, it was very common for the man to have a bedroom and his wife to have another bedroom. So just keep that in your head as you're reading. Verse 2, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil them? Oh man, if there's any husbands in the room, we have all seen this before. She has a headache. <laughs> Last week, you know, we talked about how awesome marital intimacy and this brother is in heavy need of it. His head is wet with dew. He's sweaty, working hard. My locks with the drop of the night. I don't have locks, but pretend. More sweat. He's tired. He's beat up. I need, what he's saying is, I need to be rejuvenated by your love. Now let's look at her response. Look. I took off my robe. I ain't trying to put it back on to go answer this door. And my feet, they're clean. I ain't trying to walk on this dusty floor. What do we see? A broken promise. Her promise to serve him was in battle with her desire to serve herself. And in this moment, she chooses herself. Let's jump to verses four through six. My beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. Now, there's tons that I want to pull out from this, but let's start at the beginning of verse 4. My beloved put his hand to the latch, to the lock on the door. Then jump down to verse 6. It says, I opened to my beloved, and he was gone. Listen, if that was me, there would be no more door. I would have broke that door down, no problem, all right? But Solomon doesn't do that. And I'm sure Solomon could have beat that door down, ran in there, yelled at her, and he'd be right in doing so. But Solomon says, I got to honor God. God first. Remember back at the end of 2015, 
I was up here and I was talking to you guys about first things first, putting God first. And this applies in marriage and relationships the same way. I know what it is to love her. And this isn't the time to go around quoting like last week. This isn't the time for him to bust in there and say, well, 1 Corinthians 7.4, well, you know the Bible says, your body is under my authority, so what's up, right? It's really a place to say Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. A time to say 1 Peter 3.7, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you to the grace of life so that your prayers would not be hindered. Really catch the end of that verse. So your prayers would not be hindered. What does that mean? Did you catch the end of that? Be understanding. So you have be understanding with my wife. And over here we have, so my prayers aren't hindered. That doesn't make sense. Wait, God. My prayers are unto you, God. What does that have to do with me and her? And God is saying, because marriage is unto the Lord and not unto your wife, it is with my wife, but it is for God. The glory is his. The purpose is holy. My wife is not my God. And if I have to put God first, then I have to obey him in how I treat her. I don't just treat my wife in a loving way because I love her. I treat her in a loving way because I love God. And there is not one verse in the Bible that says you need to go and change your husband or you need to go and change your wife. But there's such a temptation to do that. I try so many times to manipulate and change my wife. We try so hard to manipulate the ones that we love. You know, maybe if I criticize a bunch of things that she does over here, that'll bring change. Or maybe if I just get angry about things when she doesn't, that that'll bring change. Or maybe if I just start withholding stuff. Maybe if I just love less, that'll bring change. Right? But it never happens. It's never true. Never once in the history of time has beating someone up ever made them want to love you better. But we do it all the time. Let's look at verse 4 again. Instead of reacting to her in anger, he responds in love, right? If you look at that picture, right, you've got this door with the bolt in it, and he's on one side and she's on the other. And he's saying, the very thing that sins against me, this blockade between you and I, I'm going to cover it with myrrh, a sweet-smelling aroma. So when she goes to touch it, she realizes that that's what was on his fingers. And the first major point, how do you diffuse conflict in your relationship? You don't react to them, you respond to God. And I know some of you are like, rich man, I see that slide, it looks really cool. And I even made noise when it went up, but this is really hard. And I don't know if I could do that. See, in our flesh, we get really upset, boiling hot. But Solomon is sharing the principle that we aren't slaves to our emotions. See, it's hard because we keep looking at the other person. We're saying, you don't deserve that. You don't deserve me to bite my tongue. You don't deserve what, what God is calling me to do because, God, do you see what she did to me? God, do you see what he's doing? I'm not just going to let them get over on me. I'm from Brooklyn. All right? And God is actually saying to you, 
what about me? What about me? Do I deserve it? I gave you him. I, I gave you her. And I told you how to love that gift that I gave you. This is between us. And I hold you accountable for what you do with what I give you. I've called you to love. God says, don't react to them. Respond to me. Remember, remember, I can't change anybody. But God is saying, I change people all the time. I'm in the people changing business. I change hearts. I shift and I transform people. I renew minds. I make the difference, not you. So take the boxing gloves off and honor me. Cover the deadbolt with myrrh. You know, in Romans 12, 21, it says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Love wins. Now let's go back to verse four. Heart was thrilled. Verse six, open to my beloved. See, when we respond to God, change occurs. The same woman who's reluctant to come to the door is now running to open it. Love brings people in. Anger and manipulation will always push people away. And the other thing is that it justifies the sin in our minds. If I'm in a fight with my wife, right, and I say, man, you never make time for me, right? And she's like, well, that's nothing compared to how much of a slob you are, right? What do I hear when she responds like that? Do I hear, man, I guess I really am a slob? <laughs> no. What I actually hear is, congratulations, Rich, on making a correct assessment of your wife. And if you ever forget how much she doesn't care about you, refer back to 10 seconds ago when she hurt you. And that's what downloads into me. I feel justified in what I said. Her counterpunch just solidified my initial punch. That doesn't make me want to love her better. You know, in contrast, there was a time where we had a fight and I ended up going out, hanging with friends or whatever, and I come back home and the house smells amazing. And uh, one of my favorite meals is on the table. And we were vegan at the time, so it was like some kind of tofu, but it was mad good. <laughs> um, and I say to her and I'm like, look, is there any poison in this? <laughs> and she laughs and she's just like, no. And what she said to me was, you know, just because we had a fight doesn't mean that I stopped loving you. And in that moment, it's a complete opposite of the argument of before. That brings us closer. That makes me want to do better. That makes me feel like an idiot, a big dummy for how I reacted earlier that day. What my wife couldn't accomplish with reacting she accomplished with responding in love. Let's look at verse seven. Oh boy, the watchmen found me as they went about in the city and they beat me and they bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. Now, this is in no way promoting violence, domestic violence or violence against women. What it is saying is this, we have to ask the question, right? If something is happening to me negatively and God is calling me to love this person and withhold my tongue and, and just be loving to them, right? Where is justice? 
does sin go unpunished? Remember, it's not my job to punish my mate, but God is a God of justice. You biting your tongue and holding back all those words that you had for your lover, not responding in anger, no one is getting over on you. No one is getting away with anything. Now listen, this isn't to say husbands go home and be like, look, a word? No, no intimacy? Watch out for the watchmen. They're coming. No, it's saying God brings the correction. He brings the rod. He brings the staff to a wayward spouse. He disciplines. He guides. He changes. And you can bank on that. Put retribution in his hands. And honestly, it's better that way. God does a much better job at improving my wife than I do. Because the only thing I bring to the conflict table is anger and wrath. God brings discipline, mercy, restoration. It's so much better. He, he has a perfect process. And let's skip down to verse 10 to 16. It's not on the screen, but just listen. I'm not going to read every verse. She says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. You skip down to 15. She was just talking about his head. Now his legs, she's going all the way down. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. See, when you respond to God and allow him to bring the correction, the result is beyond what you could imagine. Standing at that door, sweaty, myrrh in his hands, hands on the bolt, denied. Could he imagine that just a few moments later that this is what would be coming out of his wife's mouth? That she could say such things about him after just having denied him. This is the evidence of a supernatural work, a supernatural work that the Holy Spirit can do in your relationship right now if you let him. Show the one that you love the depth and the maturity of your love by submitting your relationship to God and watch the Holy Spirit go to work. Now let's keep going. Chapter six, verses one and two, or one to three. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. Verse 3 begins with, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. We're back to seeing her see marriage properly, serving one another, one flesh. She's committed to making this marriage work. But how is she so sure that he's going to be there? If we go back to verse two, we see graze in the gardens, gathering lilies. Now if we go to verse three, it says, grazes among the lilies again. So it seems like she's pretty sure this is where he is. Matthew 19, verse 6 says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. She knows where he is. 
because there's no back door. Divorce is not on the table. See, my mom and I can fight till the day I die, but it doesn't actually occur to me that I could end that relationship, right? It's not like I'm gonna be like, well, you're not my mom anymore, right? That's not on the table. It's just I'm mad at her, right? The same thing with my wife. There's no back door. There's no exit. We fight, yes, but rest assured that July 23rd, 2011, I made a promise to her that I would be there no matter what, and I'm still here. So if she has something that she wants to tell me, she knows where I am. Where am I? Where I've always been, in my garden. I'm there. Come see me. There's no exit. It's a promise that I intend to keep. It's a sure thing. You can always find me. If somebody asks you where I am, you know. I'm in my garden. I'm with the lilies. No questions asked. You know, and it's funny because this is the concept that makes it hard for me to kind of agree with people who say, like, man, you know, you got to, like, live with somebody first because you got to have that extra insurance, you know, on the relationship. And I just, I don't think you can test drive lifelong commitment. There's no way to test drive that. You know, there's a, there's a great scene uh, in the last Batman movie, Dark Knight Rises, really quick. He's in a pit, and he's trying to get out of the pit, and he's trying to climb out of it, and uh, he has a safety kind of harness on him when he, he goes to make this jump. And he keeps trying to make the jump, but he can't make it. And then he has this talk with some old guy, and he realizes that the reason why he can't make the jump is because he's still wearing the safety harness. And once he's removed that, and the full depth of the consequences of not making that jump, which is dying, that is what will enable him to make the leap. And it does, and he gets out. The safety net becomes a hindrance, and it holds you back from the full experience. My wife gets the benefit of having me at my best because sometimes I had to wrestle and push and pull and press and cry out to God to have my marriage flourish that I would never have done if I had a quit button. Because if I had one, I would have quit a long time ago. It's the promise that brings the progress. And there's no way to test lifelong commitment. Let's look at how he receives her. Verses four through six in chapter six, he says, you are as beautiful as Tirzah, and that's a beautiful city. My love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with the banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. Not one among them has lost its young. Second major point. After you respond to God, seek reconciliation. Look at what he says. He didn't say, oh, now you want to talk? Oh, now you want to open doors? Oh, now you want it's okay for your feet to get dirty now? Give me a second. I'm gardening. Right? He doesn't say that. He says, you are as lovely as Jerusalem, the holy city. And verse 5, turn your eyes from me. For they overwhelm me. I'm still aroused by you, still. 
And it continues on, hair as a flock of goats. And if you were here last week, that should sound familiar to you. It's the exact same analogy that he used in chapter 4. So wait a second. What about verse 6? Verse 6 sounds familiar too. Teeth like a flock of ewes. Why is he repeating the same things that he said in the intimacy of their bedroom? He's saying this because they are fully reconciled. And reconciliation goes like this. See, to concile or to conciliate is just to reach an agreement. In not so fancy terms, it means we cool. We good. Things are amicable between us. There's no beef. Beef has been squashed. Too often, this is our response. We forgive, but we don't forget. And we still hold the crime over our lover's head. And we remind them at every chance. We tell them that, you know, we were up here, but after last night, you're, we're down here. And you've got to do some things to, you know, work your way back up here, right? So you're going to have to get to swiping or shopping or just do what I say or just do things to get me to love you again. You've got to earn me back. And the word of God here is showing us a man who says, my love doesn't cost anything. I am not a prostitute. You don't got to pay me to get this. See, it's not just about conciliation, we cool. It's reconciliation. We are as cool as we were before. Our love is fully restored. We are back. We're back up here, right? And let's say, for instance, right? Y'all know Trison, right? Trison's my friend. What if me and Trison are in the parking lot and all of a sudden, boom, get into an accident? And now whenever I see him, I don't smile, I don't dap him up no more. It's just, hey. And people are like, yo, man, what happened between you and Trison? I'm just like, yeah, you know, we cool. We have conciliated. But if I say, look, Trison, man, no worries about the whole parking lot thing. We all make mistakes. I got insurance. And every time I see him, I show him love, like nothing changed between us. That's still my brother. We have reconciliated. We're back to the height of our friendship. And that's why he's saying the same things as he said in chapter four, at the height of their intimacy because it's a picture of reconciliation. We are back. I know we had a fight, but we're back. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It's a clean slate. We're good. You know, I want you to pursue reconciliation, hot pursuit of getting that relationship restored. Don't force your spouse to jump through hoops just to get on your good side. Also, don't wait for your spouse to do the reconciliation. And I know it might be the 500th time that you're making the first move to make peace, but you love them. So you'll do it 500 more times, why? Because you being a bad example of what a wife is supposed to look like does not mean that I'm gonna stop pursuing what an ideal husband looks like. So I know we all dread it, but many times 
We've got to run to say, can we talk? I want to work this out. I want to go back. God doesn't close the door on me, and I'm not going to close the door on you. You are still Tirza. You are still as lovely as Jerusalem. These are the takeaways that I want you guys to walk away with. Don't react in anger. Respond in love. Seek reconciliation. Where have we seen this before? Well, we see this in the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sinning against a holy God, we could have been destroyed and should have. An undeserving people received God in human flesh. Where we deserved a reaction, we received a response. Jesus is the embodiment of love. And what a response that is. See, we put the deadbolt on. And even today, there are those of you with a closed door and a deadbolt on your heart. And Jesus is on the other side. He's knocking. You know, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. God is knocking. And if you would approach the door, you'd begin to see not the, not the sweet-smelling myrrh that Solomon had, but the sin-cleaning, heart-changing blood of Jesus right on the door of your heart. We have all sinned and come up short. And Jesus responds in love by dying on the cross for us to be able to live. And Bridge Church, he didn't die just to be cool with us. He didn't die just to say, well, the beef is squashed. We're amicable. Jesus didn't die so we could just be second-class citizens. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Reconciled. Jesus offering reconciliation. We are his children. If only you will open the door. Run to him. Turn from your sin and follow Jesus. Be reconciled with the one who loves you more than any human could ever love. God is asking the question really to all of us. Can we talk? Let's pray. God, help us to use conflict as a means to show your loved ones your brand of love, a brand that is selfless and sacrificial, God. Help us to stop reacting and instead responding in love. Help us to respond to you, respond to your call. Help us to establish better relationships and help us to run towards reconciliation. Help us to be an agent of restoration with the ones that we love 
and to be a light in this world. God, help us to always answer the knock on the door of our heart. We thank you so much for the blood of Jesus shed for us that we have a chance to live. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.